1: This is our final episode of COVID-19 Fact Checkers. I'm Moeed. I spent the last year behind the scenes on the production side of Venn Podcasts. I'm also a radio presenter from Brent. So for this last episode of COVID-19 Fact Checkers, I'm on the mic as a guest host, because I have a question. Let's be real. This year, everything since March has been so shit. People suffered tragic losses, millions lost their jobs and heroic key workers have kept everything going, often without proper PPE. Meanwhile, many of our grandparents and immunocompromised people like me are still indoors. I can't wait to be able to hug whoever I want to and go on holiday without a two-week quarantine. But, quarantining has offered, mostly the luckiest amongst us, an opportunity to reflect on our lives and potentially reset them. Is there anything that happened to us over the last few months that has changed our lives for the better? I'm joined by activist and educator Nim Ralph, social entrepreneur Emily Matheson, and Brent-based young creative Sophie AJ to discuss whether we should return to the old normal or not. Can you all introduce yourselves and say a bit about who you are? What you do, and also how pandemic life has been for you. Let's start with Emily.
2: Hi, I'm Emily Matheson. I am a sustainability writer and social entrepreneur. I'm founder of a social enterprise called Arende. We work with people that face barriers uh, to employment to create a range of luxury homewares and gifts. Lockdown for me has been, like for most people, a bit of a roller coaster. I'm a single parent, I've got two kids at home. So that has been tricky. Uh, in in many ways, but for me personally, I found it quite almost like a chance to reset. I felt like before my life was busy, 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 go, 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 out all the time, get my kids in loads of clubs, do loads of things, and I was feeling just like I was on this kind of treadmill the whole time. I felt kind of frantic and anxious, and although there is a certain kind of anxiety that comes with COVID nineteen, for me there was also a release of just stopping doing everything and I'm really hopeful that I can hold on to some of that as we, well, maybe ever sometime move (laughs) out of restrictions.
3: I'm Sophie AJ and now I'm currently head of media communications for an organisation in the UK called All Black Lives UK. The whole lockdown and quarantine thing's actually been probably one of the best times of my life, even though it's very like weird to say, simply because I figured out what I like, who I am. I've had more time to myself. I'm quite a homebody anyway. It has been one of the most financially trying times as well. Like living on my own, also trying to support my dad who's still stranded abroad since March. But I'd say mentally it's been very trying, but also the most like liberating time as well because I've like discovered new hobbies and made new like internet friends kind of thing.
4: (laughs) I'm Nim. I'm a, an activist and an educator. So a lot of my time I spend training or working with groups, from grassroots groups up to like international campaign organizations around campaign strategy um, and anti oppression and organisational or group culture work digging into things that people love to talk about like the conflict they're having or how racism or transphobia are showing up in their spaces and stuff. Yeah I really resonate with a lot of what uh, Emily and Sophie both said. I think in my head it feels like I've had different phases. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like we've been in this for years now. Time has gone so weird that it's kind of hard. I was just thinking like when were these phases? When did they happen? I'm not sure. But um, when we first went into lockdown I really resonated with Emily you saying like everything in life was just like go 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 really really busy and it was a relief. I travel a lot for work I'm constantly around lots of people and I'm actually a big introvert and so suddenly I was like oh I spent more time at home in the last six months than I have in the last three years combined. On my own I live alone so I'm like oh and I'm on my own and so at first it was it was awesome. I loved it. I loved not having people. I never wanted to see anybody ever again. It was great. <laughs> and I found, like, there were things that were happening. Like, I had space in my life for routine for the first time in a really long time. I had time to clean my flat. That was great. And I also realised, like, there was just, like, little areas of creativity that became possible for me again or, like, thinking about what do I want to do for fun? Like, I've just got myself right now. What do I want to do? What is fun for me? And like all of us, I'm so done with Zoom. <laughs> Zoom fatigue I don't, know how, like, I don't know how much longer I could just sit in this chair In front of yeah, this laptop Looking true. at this <laughs> so For any longer so, so yeah I'm definitely at a point where I'm like Oh all this stuff I was enjoying It's levelled itself out and I need to now swing it back a little
1: bit I definitely think this was a time for self reflection but It's definitely had its ups and downs I'm the opposite of union. I'm a bit of an extrovert So I really liked going to the office and like sitting there around like other creative people and being in this environment where I know I could just do my work, but being at home, it's horrific. My bed's there, do you know what I'm saying? And I'm rolling out of bed and I'm sitting on my computer and how do I differentiate what is my lunchtime? What is my my own time? And then like, I'm meant to be like, I was uh, immunosuppressed and I've, I've got Crohn's disease um, and I had stoma surgery like a couple of years ago. So I was one of those people that had to stay indoors for 10 weeks, which I actually did, which was nuts. But I suppose um, we just have to kind of like just, again, focus on ourselves and do what we can do to maintain our mental sanity, right? So, yeah, it has been quite a, a mad experience being in lockdown in London. But knowing similar things are happening around the world, NIM, do you think this global health crisis has shown us how we are all interconnected
4: I think it has shown people not just that we're interconnected but how much different levels of disenfranchisement and oppression uh, and injustice are connected so I think like what we've seen is simultaneously we've got a global pandemic that literally is affecting everybody globally like we're all in this weird state that in my lifetime we've never been in where we're living through the same thing globally and yet we're all having these very individualized experiences of it obviously but We're living through that globally. Meanwhile, we had the murder of George Floyd. We had all the uprisings that continue to this day that have not stopped for four months in the US. Um, And in the UK here, obviously, we had uprisings on the back of that too. We've had global attacks on trans rights and the hard right trying to sneak through regressive anti-trans policies from Colombia through to Hungary we have had disability justice come to the forefront of our movements in response to the pandemic and like you're saying Marie like the difference in experience of people going through this and when you've got governments like ours acting as if we're no longer in the middle of a global pandemic while people are still shielding the kind of level of injustice and how these things are all woven together and I think one of the most beautiful responses to that that we saw was in the US at the height of the media attention on the uprisings for black lives. Trump did this thing where he tried to distract people politically by throwing trans people under the bus. And instead of being distracted, what happened is the movement unified around black trans lives. And so you had 15,000 people turn out on the streets on a Sunday in a march of solidarity led by black trans people. And so I think that the simultaneous thing of like this era of global repression, a global pandemic going on and it being very visible alongside everybody slowing down, having more time to reflect, having more time to connect to what's happening in the world, but also to ask questions like, what matters to me or what do I want right now? I think what we're seeing is people having time to connect their values to what's going on in the world and start to make the links between different lives, different experiences and the different experiences that we're having while we're in the same experience together.
1: Okay, I know, I have to agree with you there. I think. With the global pandemic, I feel like people are using this whole movement of the BLM to distract people of the bad decisions the governments are making regarding this pandemic. For example, I saw diversity, it's like this dance group, they did this like amazing sequence on Britain's Got Talent. And the amount of backlash they got was actually horrifying. People are focusing their energies in the wrong place. People are only expressing themselves through, art. Oh, if you have an issue with that, then there's some deep-rooted issue within yourself. You need to go and seek some sort of help. But for you to, like, focus all of your negative energy on that rather than the actual fact that people are dying every day because of the incompetence of the people that are in charge is kind of what the government wants, I feel. I think they want people to forget the fact that they're doing all these silly things regarding trans rights, regarding the pandemic, you know, the PPE, buying stuff that don't even work, do you know what I'm saying, Things that are just so ridiculously stupid that you have to laugh. Did participating in activism during a global pandemic change the way you thought about activism in itself? Has it opened up like new forms of activism? The fact that people are willing to like put their life on the line in inverted commas. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that?
3: I helped create an organisation over this time period, um, All Black Lives UK. So it was like my first taste of being an activist like physically rather than being online doing like petitions and shouting out people's things and stuff like that I was like, I was at the the front line essentially and I went to a protest and it was very scary to be like at the front of Downing Street with police they're recording you you're looking at them like <laughs> you know they're looking at you they're recording you they're like people are shouting abuse at them and the police, they're just keeping quiet but you know they has got something up their sleeve. I, there was a whole thing of, you know, on Instagram where people were posting like a black square um, saying like black lives and then if you don't post this, you don't care about black lives. It's like, hold on. Like, I don't need to post the black square to prove that I've been organizing protests, like peaceful protests with social distancing in place. It's crazy how people like use that as like... I'm not
1: going to lie, sorry to interrupt. I posted that black square, but then I deleted it after 10 minutes because I realized it was a social fad like people are going to post it just to fit in rather than actually do anything that will help people in need so yeah i had a quick realization i was like why am i falling in this trap man i was like let me just delete that let me just keep sharing resources let me keep learning myself as well because it was all i can do i can improve my own knowledge about these subjects and things that i don't know about and Yeah, I just feel like people tend to jump on these trends. That's what it is. It's a trend to them, isn't it? But this is people's lives we're talking about here. This is something they have to go through every day. You might have the privilege of just seeing it and like feeling sorry for a day or two, but like this is a 365 days for life thing for a lot of people.
2: One thing about the black squares, I mean, like you, Sophie, I mean, when I started seeing that, I, was, I really rolled my eyes. I just thought this is so performative. It does, what does, this doesn't mean anything. I thought about how can this be used for something good? And the way that I interpreted it was, right, if you've posted a black square, that means you can't roll your eyes at me when I come at you with the conversation anymore. <laughs> right? So that says, I'm here to learn. You've told me with your black square now that this is a conversation that you need to have. So I guess... If there was one good thing to take from the black square, it was that people couldn't hide any more from the fact that they'd posted it. I don't know if you all think this. I Maybe people were a bit more open to having some really difficult conversations and that those conversations seemed to me, I don't know, maybe if it's just like the bit of the internet that I'm operating in, that it wasn't just, oh yeah, this is really bad, but it was people really understanding that this is about systems change. Like it isn't just about, you know, putting a poster up or whatever. It's really like this comes from the top. Capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, it's all linked. And I, I suppose I'm starting to think that maybe more people are engaging with those ideas. For me, that feels like a good thing. I mean, that's like a juxtaposition, though. So I feel like it's a huge paradox because it's like,
3: 've had all this time to educate yourself but then there's still so many people that came out of quarantine more ignorant than they were when it started <laughs> so I feel like I definitely agree with the whole point of like you know people like learning and you know changing their views and whatever but some of these same people that claim that they were using the time to learn and reflect they still, doing things that they shouldn't be doing and I'm thinking did you learn anything at all but at the same time like you said Marie it's like it was a trend anyway it, I did it was it wasn't going to do anything unless you were actually providing links and petitions and things in your actual description Black Square was not going to do anything except unify pe- other people that had the Black Square in their profile.
1: Nim what about you what are your thoughts on how activism has like adapted to the pandemic?
4: I think what we've seen is just a deepening of the rapid polarisation that we've been seeing globally happening pre the pandemic. So I think what's been happening in the last decade and has accelerated in the last few years is this vast polarisation of people moving to the far right and the far left this time has amplified that because the tool that we've had for learning and engagement and connection is social media. I think we all often cognitively forget that my Twitter feed, my Facebook feed is different to your Twitter feed and your Facebook feed. So we're all like, why aren't you wearing face masks? Like, we all know that that's how you stop this. And other people are saying like, there's no such thing like face masks do nothing. So one of the things that's really changed just on my street at my house is the amount that me and my neighbours say hello to each other and stop and chat to each other. Like, we've always been friendly, but now we stop and we talk. And the level of, like, knowing each other, and I found out that one of my neighbours who I talk to all the time has lived on my street since 1961, once saw the Beatles at the end of our street. Like, (laughs) Like, I just think that that level of community connection is the flip side of that, and I think... What it's showing to me right now is that politically as activists, we need to understand values more and politics less.
1: So obviously after listening to everything you guys have said, what things do you think we can learn from how activism has adapted? What things can we bring forward after the pandemic? Um, Sophie, I'll I'll direct that towards you.
3: Okay, so I feel like there's a, a range of things. So for example, my group, we learned that you can't just go out and protest regardless of a pandemic or not you can't just go out take um a poster or whatever and just do it there's like a process to it especially now that the law is like proper like <laughs> anti like even though we have like freedom of speech there's so anti protests it's a shame like when we were out and about like we had to like log in where we would start where we would end with the police and even though like we would tell them this information they would still make it out to seem as if we didn't tell them, even though we had like a full like correspondence log, like just for evidence, just to prove that we've done that. I'm not like a conspiracy theorist at all, but I do think it is definitely a distraction from the fact that they made a complete like cock up of the system and like completely just, they were just running off vibes as people were saying on Twitter, like no thought, just vibes. We're also probably gonna be blamed for the spread of the pandemic, even though we all know that was the eat out to help out campaign and going back to work and going back to school, things like that.
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
4: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes
2: per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: I'm going to switch the topic up a little bit if you guys don't mind. We're going to focus a bit more on work now. So obviously work has been completely messed up for all of us. Our work-life routines, like we said a bit earlier, have been a bit all over the shop, but it turns out a lot of us can do our jobs just as well at home. Of course, it's a privilege to be able to work at home. You know, we've got a roof over our heads and all that kind of stuff. But some people are finding that working from home offers like unique benefits. Emily, I'm going to directly say you. (laughs) Do you think working from home or the working from home culture will last after the pandemic?
2: Probably it's going to be a mix of both. I mean, I think... I've always worked at home. So for me, it wasn't a massive, great shift for people that I know who were spending hours a week commuting. It's obviously liberating to be able to be at home. They can get more involved in family life. They can you know, look after their kids. They've got more time for exercise. Some of the things that we've already talked about, I think in terms of the work environment, what we're probably going to end up with is a mix of both right? So there's things that happen in an office that just can't happen on a Zoom meeting. It's the passing comment. It's the conversation you overhear. It's how a creative idea is sparked by what someone's wearing or what they're listening to. Or, you know, the way that we absorb the world around us, the way that we connect with people, you can't recreate that on a Zoom meeting. So I think particularly for creative companies, there is going to have to be some kind of acknowledgement that you need to bring people together. I also think for young people, people who are living alone or people that don't have an environment that they live in that is suitable for work, people that are just starting out in their careers and need to learn from people and need to watch and, and need to adapt and, and make contacts. Again, you can't do that sitting in your bedroom. So, yes, what is technically possible might not be the thing that is most desirable from like an economic point of view or from a perspective to do with emotional and well-being and mental health. but I also know that big corporates are you know trying to start offloading their massive expensive buildings. So there will definitely be a shift. I wonder if what we might have is more meaningful connections with the people we work with for less amounts of time. And I was going to say I hope that's what happened. but one of the things that I've decided in the pandemic is that I think that hope is a bit of a rubbish word because it takes away agency. Right. So we have to decide what do we want this to look like and how can we make it happen?
4: Yeah, I think this is an interesting conversation because I think that it's one that we can talk about the reality of what's happening and then we can turn into what do we want? I think ultimately the like more miserable part of what ultimately what's happening is that people will make decisions based on economics. So... I think we are going to see a lot more working from home and we're going to see that because companies and organisations and corporations save money by not paying rent and they recognise that this is an opportunity to cut those costs. And when you don't have a building, you also don't have to pay certain members of low-paid staff who maintain that building. And so there's an economic cost on that, usually on the most precarious workers. I saw something recently where somebody was talking about the fact that we also need to be vigilant, that like, all these corporations are going to start saving money around rent But the burden of that cost is on us. So we're going to need to start paying for higher speed internet. Most of us don't have another room to work in. So we might end up looking for like co-working spaces or, you know, just the increased electricity and heating bills we're going to have. Like so far, it's been summer and spring. But as we go into winter, there's going to be more fuel poverty. So either bigger health implications for people or higher costs of working from home. And that's not going to be reflected in salaries. So I think that there's like an economic question about this that we should be thinking about. And then the last two things I just wanted to say was one is that I think the other thing to take into account is that the home is the least safe space for many people, particularly women and other gender minorities. And that's part of this conversation about work that we're not having around. What does it mean for people to have to be in the home so much in terms of safety, in terms of domestic violence and lots of other things? Like that's going to affect somebody's performance at work. So who then loses their job? And like how are employers thinking about safety and things like that? And the other thing is, is that most of this is about a conversation about people whose jobs depend or can work on Zoom on their laptops. And there's a whole number of workers for whom that isn't life, that isn't work life. So I don't think that we should glorify or lift up this conversation so loudly in the conversation about work that we're not thinking about whose work can't be working from home and aren't holding to account companies and corporations of the safety um, and livelihoods of physical labourers, of precarious workers, of child carers, of all of those jobs that tend to be undervalued in our society already.
1: I suppose you brought up the fact that there's so many different moving parts for people to think about that we obviously don't. Well, I haven't thought about myself. I'm just thinking, shall I go into the office or not? But ultimately, there's so many other things that we need to think about who may be affected in a more, more negative way than me, for example. It's not all about me. You know, we've got to think about everyone else. Do you think that people will be questioning whether they should let work define their lives as much? You know, having experience, you know, being at home, they're realizing how much time they actually spend working. Do you think people will be questioning how much they allow work to kind of consume their lives? Emily, I'll I'll direct that towards you.
2: You know, I think we have to be aware of the fact that the whole pandemic is really, in lots of situations, it's exacerbating inequalities that already exist, right? So the concept of work-life balance is really one that only exists for people with the privilege to be able to engage with that. Having prefaced that, I think for people who have that privilege... We've all been talking about this, right? It's made us all question everything. We all go, what do we want from our lives? What are our values? How do we want to show up in the world? It might be that it's not so much as binary as work and life. A lot of people have a lot of stress from their job, but it might not be just their job. It might be the travel. It might be that they have to attend a lot of extracurricular events or it might, you know, they have to do networking or whatever. So I I do think that we all need balance, but that is going to look different for everybody. And that might look like more work for some, less work for others, more time to ourselves. I think giving ourselves a bit of permission just to do the things that make us happy and maybe questioning What is success and what is status? So like these are massive questions, but they all link in with the work-life balance because it's only if we start asking those things that we can really answer the question, am I balanced?
1: Well, we are going to have to round things up, but just to end, I thought we'd do a quick fire round. Let's go around and say one positive thing we've learned during lockdown that we will be taking with us into the norm, I can say, or whenever we eventually get out of this lockdown, I'll start, spend more time with my family. I tend to go to work and then maybe go to an event. I literally just, I'm at home to sleep and maybe eat breakfast. Then I'm at the house, man. I do not like spending time in the house. I like to be out and about. Obviously that has changed from this pandemic. and I'm spending more time with my mum and my brothers and my sister. And it is a nice feeling and with my grandparents as well. So I suppose I will maintain that, you know, I'll get a time during the week and make sure I spend, you know, good time with them all. So yeah, that's my thing. What about you guys?
2: Listening being as valuable as shouting. So for me, being like really public, maybe quite militant, quite loud about stuff was always how I thought you would get things done. But maybe lockdown has given me a chance to listen a bit more and work out why that approach doesn't work for everyone.
1: Nice. What about you, Sophie? The
2: main thing that stood out for me was when people come into your life
3: to make amends, it was more for their selfish <laughs> gain, and it made me realise like who like to actually like trust and hang like gravitate towards. Definitely, I'd say the positive was noticing not fake friends and such, but noticing who actually cared about you during this time, and who I actually cared about during this time as well. It worked as a two-way
4: street, and um, so
3: yeah.
1: Nice. And to round off, Nim.
4: I think it's the value of slowing down and the way that the world has been constructed to be so fast paced so that we disconnect from ourselves and each other and that the value of reflection time which i think it speaks emily to what you were saying about listening but like slowing down reflection and like what that enables which is like what we've talked about around connecting to community thinking listening hearing what this time is like or what life is like for other people seeing beyond on social media the kind of like hyperbole of people's very quick politics to like what's actually going on underneath it why is this happening
1: I just want to thank you all for joining me taking the time out of your day to share your wonderful experiences and hope you enjoyed yourselves
4: thank you you. you. nice to meet you thank you Marie you've been a great host
1: Thank you for listening to the last episode of COVID-19 Fact Checkers. I'm Moeed. Thanks to Nim, Emily and Sophie for joining me. This episode was produced by Lucas Fothergill, Rose Dilarabiti, Jess Lawson and me. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. Thanks for listening.